Welcome to City on a Hill's podcast. This week's podcast can be downloaded on iTunes or our media library at chccny.com. It's always a joy for me to come to this church. I love it here. There's so much love in this place. I feel it when I walk through the door. The smiles, the greetings, it's just like I'm coming home. But the most important thing is the sense of the presence of God. And I cherish that more than anything in all of this world, God's presence. Without his presence, we might as well lock the doors of the church, throw the key in the river, close the Bible, and all these things. They don't mean a whole lot if we don't have the presence of God. Amen? So, what a joy to be with you. Uh, that's a big day. Super Bowl Sunday. Who cares? <laughs> I'd rather be in the house of the Lord. I'm flying home. I'll be on the plane when the Super Bowl is on. But they told me that they're going to have... They're going to have television at every seat on the plane, so I'll be able to watch it if I don't fall asleep. <laughs> okay. I've always enjoyed being with Pastor Joe and Linda, and uh, I've counted them as some very, very dear friends all through the years, and uh, appreciate them so much. Man, this church has grown. Things are happening here, right? And I'm sure that all of you are helping to make it happen. So, uh, okay. The very first verse in the Bible, I'm going to talk about beginnings. The very first words in the Bible are this, are these. In the beginning, God. That is really the beginning of everything. God stood on the rim of time and the vast expanse of the heavens and he said let there be light and the whole universe lit up like a giant Christmas tree millions of stars planets, sun, moon, everything and they're still staying there they're stayed there by the power of God and the power of that word the sun travels on its ethereal tracks across the, across the heavens we can set our watch by it everything and God got it all in motion. And then God said, that's not enough. Let us make man. Now, I don't know what you call it, but I call it the philosophy of evolution. <laughs> they try to make us believe that way back there sometime, that we were a, a little tadpole in a slimy pool. And pretty soon at we grew and we got to be a monkey. And then the monkey went around, wore his tail off, and here we are. It takes a lot more faith to believe that than just simply believe what the Bible says. God created man in his own image. I love that. God got the human race going. Everything. Everything that is life, God created it. And uh, so here we are by the grace and the decree of God. So really, the Bible is history, but it's 
his story. God put it all in motion. Nothing really functions a part of God, apart from God. So I go back and I say, look, there takes two chapters. They take two chapters in Genesis to talk all about creation, how it all happened in those two first days. And then we read about Abraham. There are 12 chapters that are given to Abraham. Two chapters for everything that was created. 12 chapters for Abraham. But it really wasn't Abraham. It was really Abraham's God. That's what it's about. Nothing would have happened if it hadn't been God that talked to them about a child being born when Abraham was almost 100 years of age and, and his, his wife was getting up there as well. Can you imagine Sarah coming along on a cane 40 years old or 90 years old past the possibility of ever having a child? But God said it, and it happened. And he not only said, you're going to have a child. He said, from that, there's going to be, you're going to become the father of nations, all the nations of the world. God did it. And I'll tell you, it's so tremendously important when I think about Abraham, that uh, the way he walked this, this pathway of faith and trusting God, didn't know where he was going. He just took off because God told him to go. Never in his wildest imaginations could he ever dream of the things that happened in his life. And that even to this present generation, the blessing that would come. And so many in the Bible, they're, they're beginnings. I think of uh, Jacob. You read about Jacob in the 32nd chapter of the book of Genesis. And there's a lot of things said about Jacob. He was kind of a rascal, you know. He was a loser, but he was a deceiver. He got the, the inheritance from his brother. He had to flee for his life. And all the things that happened, he was scheming, scheming, scheming all the time. Until one day, he's going back to meet his brother Esau. But he had taken his birthright from him. And with a lot of trepidation of what kind of a meeting he would have. But he did something very unusual and interesting. They came to the brook of Jabbok, and he sent his wife, his children, the cattle, everything he had in his life, sent them across the stream, and he was alone. He was alone. You know, we need those times when everything else is shut out and we're just alone with God. I'm not certain that I've found the right answer to who this person was he was wrestling with. Some say it could have been Jesus in a different form, in a human form. Some say it could be an archangel, whatever it was. But there he wrestled with a man of God. Now, just watch this for a little bit. He's wrestling. I don't know what the wrestling is going on, but a little while later, I find that this man of God said, okay, it's on towards morning. It's time for me to leave. And Jacob said, no, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. Look at him. A little while before that, he was wrestling. He was fighting with God. You ever found yourself wrestling with God? You ever find yourself questioning God? 
God, where are you? Why this in my life? Life is full of why, why, why. And uh, he found himself wrestling, but now all of a sudden he is clinging. And he said, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. Wrestling and then clinging. And we need to get away from this wrestling thing. And we need to get to the place where we cling to God. No matter what else happens, no matter what we go through, we cling to God. We trust in him. That's why I like the 37th Psalm where it says, fret not, first verse. The second one that says, trust in the Lord. The next one says, commit yourself to the Lord. The next one says, delight yourself in the Lord. And the last one says, rest in the Lord. I say, what a wonderful progression. What a way to live your life. Don't fret. If it's in God's hand, can you trust him? Of course you can. We read so many incredible pictures of God in the Bible, and one of them is Isaiah 40, where it says, God sits upon the circle of the earth, and the, the heavens is his throne, and the earth is his footstool. And then it says, he has measured the heavens by the hollow of his hand, or by the span of his hand, a span. The nations of the earth are like the dust of his balance goes on and gives the most majestic picture of God. And I say, can I trust him? How can I not trust him when I find out who he really is? Or you look at the last few chapters of the book of Job, and you find that all the questions that mankind will ever ask was asked in the book of Job by Job and his so-called comforters. All kinds of questions. Why? Where are you? If I could only talk to you like I could talk to anybody else, but somehow you're hidden from me. Where are you? All kinds of questions, all kinds of concepts of what's really going on. And then finally, when they had no more to say, then it says, the Lord appeared. And he began. And it's interesting. Of all the questions they asked, and all of these things that they dealt with throughout the chapters prior to this, we find that when the Lord appeared, he never asked, he never answered one of their questions. He didn't answer one of their questions. No, he asked a whole lot of other questions. He said, where were you when I hung the stars in the heavens? Where were you when I placed the world upon its foundations? Where were you when I formed the mountains? Where were you when I scooped out the hollows for the lakes and the oceans? Are you the one that makes the eagle fly? Are you the one that creates all of these things? Are you the one that keeps it all going? About three chapters like that. And then Job did a very wise thing. He cupped his hand over his mouth and he said, I got nothing to say. I got nothing to say. Can I trust him? Absolutely. We are foolish if we don't trust God. They that put their trust in the Lord shall never be put to shame. And I look at this Jacob fellow after he's finished wrestling, and he said, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. And this man of God touched him and dislocated his hip. 
and he went limping through the rest of his life. And you know what? I think when you have a meeting with God and you come face to face with God and you deal with the things that you oftentimes have questioned God on and would dare to question him on, when you meet with God, he's going to dislocate a lot of things in your life. He dislocated Jacob's hip and he limped. God will dislocate a lot of things in your life when you have a meeting with him and you come face to face with him. He'll dislocate a lot of these arguments or whatever we might have. And the thing is, after that, after Jacob went from that experience of meeting with God in a very special way alone. And by the way, we we need those alone times, you know. We need those times just alone with God. And when you try to do that, guess what? All kinds of things will come along to try to distract you from just what God wants to say to you or do in your life. The phone will ring. You know what? I discovered a secret. When the phone rings, if I'm in prayer and I'm reading the scriptures, the phone rings. I found out if I just sit there quiet and I stare at that phone, it'll quit ringing. (laughs) Don't let anything distract you from your times alone with God. I don't know how many times I have repeated this poem, and I'm not great at poetry or anything else, but I love this one because it's challenged me all through my life. And it's something about your prayer life and your time alone with God. Here it is. I met God in the morning when the day was at its best. I love the mornings, by the way. That's my inspiration time. I met God in the morning when the day was at its best. And his presence came like the glory of a sunrise in my breast. All day long his presence lingered. All day long it stayed with me. And we sailed in perfect confidence or a very troubled sea. Other ships were blown and battered. Other ships were sore distressed. But the wind that seemed to drive them brought to me a peace and rest. So... I think I've found the secret. Through many a troubled way, you must meet God in the morning if you want him through the day. And if you meet him first thing in the morning, you won't be doing so much repenting at night. Meet God. Put him first in your life. Jacob rose from that experience. Yeah, he limped, but he was different. No longer Jacob. What's your name? Jacob. God wants us to admit who we really are so he can change us into what he has really planned and purposed for our lives. Jacob, cheater, deceiver. Not any longer. After that experience with God, he said, your name now is going to be Israel, a prince with God. And I'll tell you, when you have that meeting with God and he changes your life, that's the beginning of everything worthwhile in your life. When you have that meeting with God. Don't cut corners on that. Don't let anything else push that aside. People say, oh, I'm so busy. I don't have time to go to the prayer meeting. 
or I didn't have time for devotions today. And I say, tell God that. You're not any busier than Daniel was. He was a second ruler in the greatest empire on the face of the earth at the time. But there were three times a day he said, the king can wait. The government can wait. Everything else can wait. And with familiar steps, he walks up into that little chamber that he used to open the windows toward Jerusalem and pray. You pay a price for that sometimes. Sure, there was a lion's den, but they couldn't do anything to him. I have a little theory that the reason they couldn't do anything was that Daniel was all backbone and, and the lions couldn't do anything about, it, about him, so they left him alone. And that was the launching of some very important things in the nation. So I say, take time. I love that old hymn. Take time to be holy. Talk oft with your Lord. Spend much time in secret and feed on his word. Don't cut corners on that. And so a lot of these people, the beginning of everything that really mattered was they had a meeting with God. They've had a meeting. When's the last time you had a meeting with God? When's the last time that you felt God's presence and God speaking to you and God changing you and God conforming you to something else than what you've been up to this time and catapulted you into victory and blessing and the joy and the peace that had nothing to do with your circumstances whatsoever. So there was Jacob and there was Moses, 40 years. He was, someone said, the first 40 years of Moses' life, he thought he was somebody. Well, he was raised in the, in the king's palace and all that. But something happened, and uh, he had to flee for his life. And in the next 40 years, he spent in the wilderness taking care of sheep. Barren wilderness, way in the backside of the desert. One day, something amazing happened. A bush was on fire but was not consumed. And this is what I love about Moses. He never lost his sense of amazement and wonderment at the supernatural. He turned aside to see this bush that was burning but was not consumed and then heard the voice, take the shoes off your feet. You're standing on holy ground. I don't know if you realize it or not, but you're on holy ground right now. You're not here by accident. You're not here because, oh, it's Sunday morning and it's time to go to church. Maybe that's the way you came, but that's not the reason for you being here. God brought you here for a specific reason. You don't have to go out the doors of this church carrying the burdens you came with. You don't have to go out of the doors of this place the same way you came in. You don't have to go out of here confused with what life has dealt you, you can go out of here and say, hallelujah, I had a meeting with God and that changed everything. Moses met God and he never lost his sense of wonderment and amazement at the supernatural. So here God says, okay, Moses, now I want you to go back to, to Egypt that you fled from and I want you to go to Pharaoh and tell him, 
let my people go. What? That's the guy he was fleeing from before. You better do what God tells you because it'll bring some amazing, wonderful consequences in your life. And uh, so here he is. Can you imagine? 80 years old. Hmm. I'm past that. And I've been in the ministry since I was 19. He was 80 years old when he started his ministry. And here I see him coming across the desert with an old stick in his hand. The smell of sheep on him. And he's on his way to who? Pharaoh, the most powerful person on the face of the earth at that time. And can you imagine him standing in front of Pharaoh, pointing his finger at him and saying, you let my people go. I think Pharaoh laughed. He's getting senile, this guy. He's past 80 years of age. He's just got an old stick. He's been tending sheep, and he's commanding me, the most powerful man on the face of the earth. And uh, so, of course, Pharaoh didn't listen to him, but he paid a big price for that. Thank you. He paid a big price for that. Ten plagues that almost ruined Egypt before they finally let him go. So here they are on their way, heading off for the promised land. Come to the Red Sea. Towering mountains on either side. And now Pharaoh had changed his mind and he had his pursuing army to take them all back again. I say, Red Sea in front of them, mountains on either side. The pursuing army of, of, of Herod's, of Pharaoh's army coming behind, he say, shut into calamity, disaster. No, shut into a miracle. That's what it was. Because God performed one of the great miracles, dividing the Red Sea, bringing a million people across. And uh, when they got to the other side, Pharaoh and his army decided, well, if they can do it, we can do it. So they started in and and all of a sudden, the water comes back together again and drown them all. And from then on, it was miracle after miracle after miracle. And when you start out following God and saying yes to God's will and God's plan for your life, just watch the things that he orchestrates into your life. You are looking right now at one of the most shy, retiring country boys you'd ever want to see. When I was a teenager, I was so shy. You mentioned my name, my face had turned red. You tell me I would ever stand before people like this and preach, I'd say, you're crazy. You couldn't haul me in front of a place like this with a team of horses. I was so shy. And then one day, one glorious day, I get tears when I think of it. God baptized me in the Holy Spirit. A sure cure for your shyness and timidity is be filled with the Spirit. And when that happens, you will be transformed. All those disciples were transformed after the day of Pentecost. Be filled with the Spirit. Oh, how we need that in this day and age in which we live. And it was one miracle after the other. But there was a beginning to that. He had a meeting with God.
And when you have a meeting with God, let me tell you, nothing will be the same anymore. There'll be nothing that'll be mediocre. God will take a hold of your life and catapult you into an adventure that you never would dream possible. I never dreamed that the day would come that I would preach in front of people. I mean, the first time I started, I was 19 years old. I had got butterflies in my stomach. I remember the first time I came home from the first year in Bible school, and the pastor said, well, we got a meeting here in the little town next year, and maybe we're going to get a church started. So he said, I want you to preach. I said, hallelujah. Oh, I prepared a 20-minute Billy Graham-type evangelistic message, and I was going to see the whole town shaken for God. And I got up when they announced me. It was a summer day, and the window was open. It was hot and uh, high platform. And I, I remember, just as I opened my eyes from praying, I saw my notes go flying, taken away by the wind, and just went like that, you know. <laughs> my heart sank. I said, well, I gotta, guess I've got to trust God now. I wish I had thought of that in the beginning, but... And my mind went blank, totally blank. So I said, well, maybe I'll just read a couple of the scriptures. Maybe that'll trigger something. But it didn't. And after five minutes, I sat down embarrassed and said, Lord, I will never, ever preach again. I wanted to go home in the back alley. That was the beginning of my preaching experience. No, not really the beginning. The, first, the beginning was when I preached to the chickens. I'd get in front of those chickens and I'd preach and I'd say, you're a bunch of sinners. You're heading for hell. You got to repent. I give an altar call and everything else. So if there are no chickens in heaven, it won't be my fault. <laughs> that was the first one. But I knew none of those chickens would challenge me at all. But, but here I stand the most surprised person on the face of the earth to see what God has done. And I felt that God spoke to me and said, Bob Forsyth, if I can trust you to give me the honor and the glory for whatever happens, there's no limit to what can happen. And if I can trust you to do the work of evangelism only for God's glory and the building up of the kingdom, who cares about you? I said, he said, if I can trust you to do that, you'll never lack the means. And I never thought the day would come that I would one day preach in front of 50,000 people in Hyderabad, India, in a crusade that was all churches from many denominations joined together. It was four or five nights. And I said to the chairman, I said, how many do you think stood for salvation in these four days? And he said, oh, about 10,000. I said, come on. I said, did they do it just because they wanted to make me feel good? Was it just an emotion? Was it just because somebody else was standing? And the chairman said to me, man, you're in Hindu country now. 
And these people are going to pay a major price for doing what they did tonight. And I broke down and I wept. Because I remembered my mother telling me that she felt that she had a call to India when she was a teenager and she didn't go. And uh, I got married and had all you kids, there were 10 of us. <laughs> That's an adventure. <laughs> and, and then she, uh, she said, I always pray, Lord, raise up some of my kids to go into the ministry. When three of us brothers formed the Forsyth Church, I didn't have the heart to tell them that, I mean, we were at the age where we could really help my dad on the farm because he had worked so hard. I can still see those calloused hands. And I thought, they're going to give us a major argument here. My mom, when we told her we're going to evangelist work, she shot up her hands and she started praising the Lord at the top of her voice. She said, you're the answer to my prayers. Lord, raise up some of my own kids to go. And here I am preaching with to 50,000 people, and I thought my mother's intercession through the years. Don't think that those prayers and that intercession that you offer up to God doesn't have an impact. It will. Prayer is a tremendously important thing. So, uh, and, well, look at the disciples that Jesus chose. I don't think any one of us, if we were in a position to do it, would choose the kind of people that Jesus chose. Peter, James, John. The world said they were unlearned and ignorant fishermen. But the day came when Jesus stood on the shores of Galilee and he said, follow me. And they dropped the smelly old nets, turned their back upon the boats with the worn seats and the pat sails, and they fell in step to follow Jesus, never dreaming the experience that would be theirs and the adventures that God, that Jesus would launch them into when they began to follow him. And I say, I don't care. I don't care what it's going to cost you. When the Lord says, follow me, or God gives you a directive for your life, do it. Because that'll open the door to some amazing things. It'll be the beginning of some things. Here we are in February. We've crossed into a brand new year. I never thought we'd ever live to see 2014. And I almost wake up every morning and say, God, will this be the day? Will this be the day that Jesus will come? And if so, how will I stand before him? Will I be excited anticipating or will I be worried about the kind of a life I've lived buried talents sometimes we can bury our talents in the pews of a church you know and God has something exciting planned for every one of you everyone those disciples they began to follow the Lord and he launched them into the most adventurous life you could ever have for three and a half years they saw the amazing miracles they heard the great teachings uh, they saw him crucified. They saw him crying from the cross of all places on a skull-shaped hill. And that cross was stained with the blood of the one who hung there, quivering flesh, 
hanging on the cross. And the most triumphant cry of the centuries came from that crucified person on that cross. It is finished. It is finished. And the door swung wide awake to the whosoever will that included us. And I think one of the greatest discoveries I ever made was that I was one of the whosoever will. We're here, some of the whosoever wills that the door swung open to when Jesus said, it's finished. Disciples were changed. They became, they became these unlearned and ignorant fishermen. You know, Peter was one of them. And here Peter, of all people, an unlearned and ignorant fisherman who had denied the Lord, became the one that wrote two of the epistles in the Bible that have the theologians of today scratching their head and trying to plumb the depths of what an unlearned and ignorant fisherman wrote. No, it wasn't Peter that wrote it. It was the Holy Spirit that dictated the whole thing. So, listen, when you have an experience with God, count on it. The devil's going to come knocking at the door, and he's going to throw all kinds of things at you. He's going to say, you're a failure. You're a loser. You're no good. There's nothing worthy about you that you can come to God and expect God to bless you. You're a nobody. Okay. He's a liar. The thing about it is he specializes in giving you a little bit of truth and twisting and distorting the whole thing, which is extremely dangerous. He did that to Adam and Eve. And uh, he'll come and tell you that you're nobody. You're no good. Let me tell you, I wrote down a few things that you can throw right in his face when he comes to you. You just say to him, I'm a son of God. As many as received him to them gave he the power to become the sons of God. When he tells you, you're no good, you're not worthy, I'm a child of God. I'm an heir of God and I'm a joint heir with Christ Jesus. What's that mean? That means that everything that belongs to Jesus belongs to you. But the reverse is true as well. Everything that belongs to you belongs to him. We're heirs of God and we're joint heirs with Christ Jesus. I'm a member of the body of Christ. I'm God's workmanship, his handiwork, according to Ephesians chapter 2. I'm more than conquerors through Christ that loved me. I've just, i got... About 25 things here you can hurl at the devil. And just remember, when the devil came and tempted Jesus, how did he answer? It is written. It is written. You better get to know what is written for every situation you face. Because when that's one thing that the devil is allergic to, when you can say, it is written. The other thing that the devil is allergic to is worship and praise. Man, he takes off. Just try it sometime. When you're going through your tests and your trials and whatever they might be, start praising God. I don't know if, if I told you the story about this lady in the church that I pastored in South Seattle. She had a son, a handsome young fellow. And... Uh, she came one day and she said, I just found out my son is on drugs. 
tears rolling down her cheeks. My son's on drugs. He's been running with the wrong crowd. That's how it starts. They start running with the wrong crowd. Pretty soon they start doing what the wrong crowd does. And the next thing just kept on like snowballing until, oh, he's on drugs and he uh, sleeps half the day and carouses half the night and all that kind of stuff. And she was just always weeping. Then one day, Sylvia came and she said, Hallelujah, praise the Lord, glory to God. I said, Sylvia, did David get saved? She said, no, I quit praying for him. I said, what? He needs your prayers now more than ever. No, 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 pastor, she said, you got to listen to me. I don't pray the way I used to pray. I don't pray those weak, weepy prayers anymore. I pray from a position of strength, and I say, thank you, God, you're on the throne. Thank you that your word is true. Thank you for the Holy Spirit that can follow David wherever he goes. Thank you, thank you, thank you. What happened? Sunday night, I get up to preach. David comes in, sits at the back of the church. I said, hallelujah. I changed my sermon. I loaded up my gospel gun, and I gave him both barrels, preached a powerful evangelistic message. And I was hardly through when David came down the aisle, tears rolling down his cheeks, and he just sunk down at the altar and just wept and pleaded convulsively. Well, we preachers, we have a little bit of an ego sometimes, you know. So I, you know that. <laughs> So I went down to David and I said, David, uh, what part of my sermon got through to you? <laughs> he said, Pastor, I don't want to offend you, but I never heard a word you said. <laughs> I could hardly wait till you shut up so I could get down to that altar. <laughs> and I got thinking, the Holy Spirit got there before me. But I think Sylvia's positive praying and faith had an awful lot to do with that. I'm a member of the chosen race. I'm the royal priest of the holy nation and all of these things. Uh, we, well, all of this to boil it down to say a meeting with God is the beginning of everything. When once you have that meeting with God, and you know because you know because you know that God has met you and changed your life and given you a new direction. That's the beginning of a most exciting adventure you ever want to imagine. So here are a few thick tips, all for the same price. Here are some of the things that are going to be important to you that you can live on track with the blessing and the favor of God upon you. Number one, let go of the past. Paul said, forgetting the things of the past, I press toward the mark of the prize of the high calling. Whatever's happened in the past, you can't unlive it. You can't undo it. You can't unsay it. The only thing you can do is get it under the blood. Get God's forgiveness. 
And God will be so quick to forgive. And when he has forgiven you, quit torturing yourself with your past. Don't let your past be a ball and a chain. God has pressed a deplete button, and he has wiped it out, never to be held against you anymore. So if God has forgiven you, forgive yourself and forget the past. And do what Paul says in the book of Philippians. He said, forgetting the things that are behind, I press toward the mark. Say, today is the first day of the rest of my life, and I'm going on from here. And I'm going to serve you in the grace and the strength that you give. So that's what Paul says in Philippians. Philippians chapter 3, verses 13 and 14. If you need the references, it might be good for you to memorize that. And when the devil comes your way, let him have it. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Another thing that I think is tremendously important, and that is... Watch your thought life. I sow a thought, I reap an act. I sow an act, I reap a habit. I sow a habit, I reap a character. I sow a character, and I reap a destiny. And it began up here. That's why the devil is bombarding via television and everything else to sow these thoughts in you that just turns you away from being cued into what God wants to do. And I like what Philippians 4 and 8 says, whatsoever things are good, whatever things are honest, whatever things are pure, whatever things are of good report, meditate on these things. And don't be conformed to this world, but let you be transformed by what? By the renewing of your mind. You think differently. You walk differently. Let go of the past And watch your thought life. And then another thing I think is tremendously important, learn to be thankful. Thank you, Lord, you're on the throne. Thank you, Lord, for the word that you've given me. Thank you for your promises. Thank you for the Holy Spirit that can get me through this. I've had people come to me and they said, well, I got these habits hanging on to me all the time. It's like a ball on a chain to me. And I said, well... Just don't, don't let it be a ball on a chain. Just go on in the victory that Christ has provided for you. Be thankful to God. Thank you, Lord, that you saved me. I'm not what I ought to be, and I'm not what I hope to be, but thank God I'm not what I used to be. Thank him for what you have. Then go on from there, okay? I like that, so I wrote that down. Be thankful to God and... Tie tie right in with that. Be thankful to people. Thank the pastor and his wife for the blessing they've been. Thank some friend that's been an encouragement to you. In fact, just turn to somebody right next to you right now and say, I'm honored to sit next to you right now. And let them know that you're like, (laughs) it's just like you're listening, you're sitting next to... You know, you're sitting next to royalty. You know that. (laughs) And here's another one. Be in constant prayer. Scripture says, 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, pray without ceasing. How can I do that? I've got to sleep sometime. 
I got to eat sometime. I got to go to work sometime. How can I pray without ceasing? I'll tell you how. Live the kind of a life that is a constant prayer. Lord, I depend on you for every hour, for every day, for every minute. I depend on you. My life is a prayer that I'm totally dependent upon God. Walk in the Spirit. So I tell people when they say, well, I can't seem to get a handle on victory. I said, that's easy. That's easy. Do what Galatians chapter 5 and 16 says. Walk in the Spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. That the Holy Spirit can help you in that. Uh, here's another one. Put a watch on your lips. Ooh. No room for gossip. No room for murmuring. Put a watch on your lips. You need to read James chapter 3. In Proverbs it says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. Let your tongue bring praise to God and also be a blessing to people. And here's the final verse of scripture. What's that mean when the preacher closes his Bible? Sometimes it doesn't mean a thing. <laughs> But here's my P.S., and it's this one, Micah chapter 6, verse 8. What does God require of, the, of you, man, but to do justice, to love mercy, and walk humbly with your God? So, God give you a blessed, victorious, adventurous 2014. And when... Uh, they're shouting at the stadium in a little while, this big so-called Super Bowl. Then I say, uh, you know, <laughs> what, what's that stand for, anyway? <laughs> And they'll be shouting their heads off, thousands of people across the nation. Just because somebody kicked a piece of pigskin between. <laughs> now we got something to shout about. Jesus made the first touchdown at Calvary when he said, It is finished. And the second touchdown, when he came out of the tomb, he's not here, he's risen. We are winners. Praise God. Shake hands with the person next to you and say, you're a winner. You're a winner. How many came here today and you have some needs that you just say, oh no, you already did this. You prayed with people with raised their hands. But I want to say these altars should always be open and an open invitation. If you're here and you're not a Christian, I don't want you to miss out on this exciting Christian life where your life can be transformed and changed. Let's bow our heads in prayer for just one moment. And I'd like to be able to pray with some of you that maybe you still haven't found the joy, the excitement, the release. You're not able to go around and sing like this old conservative Norwegian Canadian.
listening to City on a Hill's podcast. For more resources, visit us at chccny.com.